Welcome to A Cinematic Journey, the show where we explore the themes, scenes, and elements of the movies that we love. I'm your host, Peter Billingsley, alongside talented filmmaker, stand-up comedian, Mr. Steve Byrne. Welcome, Steve. Peter, happy holidays, and I gotta say, I'm privileged to be on board for this one. Uh, well, I'm we very are... excited for this one in particular. Oh, cool. Well, me too. And uh, this is a sequel to a film that took 39 years to get made. The lead actor had not starred in a film in nearly four decades. That's right. And this movie had to build a Midwestern neighborhood in Eastern Europe. And it also had to bring in truckloads of snow from local ski resorts. We must be talking about A Christmas Story Christmas. We are. <laughs> this is amazing. Incredible. Oh, it was. Thank God, it really was. Okay, go get in line for Santa, and we will meet you okay. right here when you're done. Okay, Mom. Okay? Bye, love you. All right, bye, love you. <laughs> Seeing Christmas through your children's eyes has the power to summon long-forgotten memories and emotions. Don't let them kick you in the face. Huh? Okay, it's Christmas time. It's the 1970s. Mm -hmm. It's Chicago. Ralphie Parker's all grown up. He's got a beautiful family of his own. He's got a gorgeous wife. He's got two vibrant children. Now, the kids are excited for Christmas, which is only a few days away. Ralph's parents, uh, the grandparents, are coming in to put on a wonderful Christmas, mm. as they always do. And that's good news for Ralph. He's never really been burdened with this responsibility. And to be honest, he's a little stressed out right now. He made a deal with his wife. He's going to take a year off to try to get his science fiction novel published. Problem is, he's running out of time and he's running out of money. That's right. Ralphie is still a dreamer like he was when he was a little kid. So his dreams are pretty big, too. He, he's going to win the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, this is where his bar is. It's unrealistically high. But this deal expires with his wife that he made on January 1st. That's basically only a week away. And if he fails, he's going to have to go back to work like a regular Joe and put that dream away forever. So this is a tenuous time for him, and he's really trying hard to make this happen. And Christmas is really the last thing on his mind right now. Well, the stress that Ralph is dealing with is really compounded by the sudden news that his father has passed away. As he would say, the old man is gone. It's a hard blow for Ralph and obviously his family as they pack up the car, they head to Holman to be with his mom, and Christmas is only a few days away. So this leads us to the central question of the film. Oh, Mom. Ralphie. I'm so sorry, Mom. He was the best. I'm so glad that you all are here. Of course. And I don't want you to worry about anything. I'm going to take care of all the arrangements, the no, service. No, no, no. Listen to me, Ralphie. All that can wait. <laughs> your, your father was so excited about Christmas. <laughs> if he saw us moping around, he'd just throw a fit. I've given this a lot of thought, and this can't be the thing that we think of every Christmas. We've got to make it a good memory, so... Promise me, promise me, we're going to make this a wonderful Christmas, one that we'll never forget. Mom, oh, in the history of tall orders, this one took the cake. There was no way. Impossible. Give up now, stupid. I promise. Okay. Oh, what had I done? The old man was the reason for the greatest Christmases any of us ever knew. Now it was all up to me? Get a grip, man. Millions of folks pull it off every year because everyone knows the recipe. to pull this off for the memory of my old man and for every Christmas to come. So there you have it. Can Ralphie Parker pull off a wonderful Christmas, especially for his mother and his children, one that they'll never forget? This is no small task, despite his father's passing and him never really having to have done it before. Ralph's dad was such an important figure in his life. They were very close. Um, so in his mind, those were really big shoes to fill. But when your mom asks you, when your mom has that point of view, you're going to do whatever it takes to try to pull it off, even though it seems like an impossible task. <laughs> and uh, there's still this looming, ticking clock that we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. this desire to be published that's playing in the background. But first and foremost is this priority to somehow try to figure out how to pull off a really, really great Christmas. Right. Uh, there's 
two wicks burning for Ralphie <laughs> right now, and he's That's really right. under the gun. No pun intended to the original, oh, there we go. but thank you so much. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. No matter how many gifts you get this holiday season, you get to define how you give to yourself. For those who have participated in or have given the gift of therapy, you know it helps people become the best versions of themselves. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Christmas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Christmas. Four decades in the making. Why now? Like, why now for you? Uh, it's such an iconic film. I know you've had other offers in the past, but uh, why at this moment in time was it right for the sequel to come about? Yeah, it was. It was 39 years, so almost 40 years. We were trying to do some research and look up on what the longest <laughs> sequel was. What was it? Uh, you know, I think or? we might be right there. Um, <laughs> really? Because generally after maybe 30 years, like, all right, well, I guess mm. we've all moved on. There was definitely some conversations maybe shortly after Christmas Story, but the original movie was not a massive hit and it gained mm -hmm. a lot of popularity over time through video and cable. Right. So those conversations, you know, maybe got more robust then, but then I wasn't a kid anymore mm -hmm. and there wasn't necessarily a great idea for it. There had been some thoughts and maybe doing it without me or, or, right. or, or Ralph again, but they just always kind of sort of came and came and went. Because you, um, you were even involved in the production, the Broadway production of A Christmas Story. The and musical. That was... So really the only thing that I ever officially did with the franchise was A Christmas Story musical. Mm -hmm. And that was something that we worked on for a while, that it eventually went to Broadway, was nominated for three Tonys. It still tours regionally, and right. it was great. And I felt very confident that was a good adaptation because mm -hmm. the movie, the original movie is kind of an eccentric tone right? and they, it just lent itself very well to musical pieces. There's like a leg lamp kick line that's mm -hmm. in the musical. Like you, the fantasy sequences translate really well to musical numbers. Right. So it was a very logical fit. I enjoyed that process. Okay. So post the Broadway musical, I assume that gave you tailwinds. How does the movie come into play now? I was having lunch with Cale Boyder, mm -hmm. who's a friend um, he's at Legendary. He was a good executive at New Line, made a lot of the great kind of comedies. He was on Crashers and Elf and some great movies. And we were just talking about stuff. And I was saying, you know, I feel like I want to do a Christmas movie, you know, mm -hmm. just in general, because uh, it had been a while for me. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, well, what about, you know, Grown Up Ralphie Parker? Right. I was like, yeah, you know, I thought about it. And he made it easy. And he spoke to Mary Perrin over there who I've known a while, and they said, look, why don't we do this? We'll develop the movie, mm -hmm. um, see if we can come up with it, sort of no pressure. If we think we're getting close and something's good, we can pursue making it. Right. So I spoke to Vince Vaughn about it, and we produce together. He mm -hmm. was very supportive of it, said that he would be there kind of in my corner for me, you know, knowing that this is challenging in mm -hmm. one way, but kind of an opportunity in another way. Mm -hmm. So that, in some ways took some pressure off, like, okay, right. I'd like to explore that. That would be fun. And then we spent a lot of time just top-laning ideas and starting trying to think, okay, well, where's Ralph? So, yes, grown up in a family. But I think the biggest epiphany to me was I looked at the original and mm -hmm. thought, you know, it's really a coming-of-age story of a kid. It's right. like a little boy kind of becomes a young man. Mm -hmm. It's the dad that gets in the gun. He knows he's ready. So mm -hmm. it's kind of mythic in its sort of coming of age -ness. Sure. And so I thought, well, what's coming of age for like a middle-aged guy? It's the two big things generally that midlife men have to face mm -hmm. is sort of atonement with the father, right? which in this case is the passing of the father. And mm -hmm. that really strips away your security blanket and you have to step into kind of the patriarch role right. yourself. And it's finding your bliss. So really right. settling into the thing kind of professionally or your life pursuit that, that, that really brings you joy. So now that the wheels are going with Legendary, you obviously need to attach a writer or, or get a writer. Uh, who, was, who, who came into play here? Well, it was really, for me, uh, one thought, it was, it was Nick Shank from day one. Mm -hmm. Nick wrote for Clint Eastwood a lot. He wrote Grand Torino, uh, wrote The Mule. 
his good friend from the Midwest, has a good sensibility, mm -hmm. I think sort of a grittiness to him. Right. So I pitched him, you know, the top line stuff that we had and sort of Ralph moving through this phase two mythic coming of age. Mm -hmm. And he loved it, he got it, and he jumped in. And then, you know, Legendary really just kind of let us go to the lab, so to speak, and mm -hmm. start kind of cooking up something. Big slippers to fill. We're excited to have with us today the director and co-writer of A Christmas Story Christmas, Mr. Clay Cadis. Happy to be here. Very thank happy. You so thank much you so much for coming Thank you so in. much. I'd love to start a little bit at the beginning and just maybe you can talk about how you first came across this film and this script. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I came from animation. I directed the Angry Birds movie. And then my second film was live action. It was the Christmas Chronicles. And um, now I get Christmas scripts all the time because I must <laughs> want to only make Christmas movies. And, um, and so that was happening for a couple of years. And then I got the script for A Christmas Story 2. I think the email said A Christmas Story Part 2, which was just a joke for my agent. And uh, I saw the email and I told my wife, who's my producing partner, I was like, I'm not going to read this because it's going to be garbage and they're going to oh. ruin it. And I love the original so right. much. I'm I'm not reading it. So I just, I really ignored it for a week. And then like a week went by and she's like, you know, she can't wait. So she reads it. <laughs> and, and she literally, I'm in my office, she comes in and she's like, this is your next movie. And I was like, oh, really? No. <laughs> oh my God. And you still hadn't read it. No, I still hadn't read it. No. And so then of course I read it and I was like, damn it. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? <laughs> Another Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, and it was just, it had for me, the hook was, you know, especially this, this is a movie that, the original is a movie that I've seen 30 times with sure. my family. I'm, we're one of those families that over the holidays, you know, back in the, when we had cable, it was mm -hmm. like TNT or TBS and, you know, the marathons, and we would just watch it. It would be on all Christmas sure. Day. So I've seen this movie so many times, so familiar with it. And uh, I just knew that th to do it again, it had to be justified. Right. You know? And then for me, the whole concept of this movie, spoiler alert, is the inspiration for the first movie in terms of, Ralphie's writing right. and the Gene Shepherd of it all, and and the fact that Peter's concept tied these two things together, I was just like, this is the reason I make this movie. So it actually right. had a a purpose, and that is purpose is a good word because we talked about that before meeting you. Like, okay, even if we have a great story, it's still going to be looked at as a cash grab. Yeah, and there were sequels to a Christmas story. There was my summer story and a couple Christmas story sequels, but I'd never seen any of them. I'd heard about them. I watched some YouTubes basically saying right. why they didn't work. And it was basically because, this is not, not my opinion, but whoever saw these movies were saying that they just tried to recall all the gags and jokes from the original movie. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And they didn't bring anything new to the story. The minute your wife comes in and says, this is your next film, and I, I, I had asked Pete this, I mean, you got to be a little trepidatious knowing the legacy and yeah, and the it, iconic stature of this film. And I mean, did you? I mean, is is that weighing on you? Like, I don't know if I psychologically, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, I I have a Disney background. That's where I animated, and so I see all these movies that I grew up loving being remade, and you know, they a lot of times fall short of what I remember. Right. You know, and so I didn't want to be that guy to come mm -hmm. in and you know ruin a Christmas story by making a sequel that isn't you know worthy of the original. And right. And that's the hard thing, too, because I think the original is honestly one of the greatest movies ever. It's, mm -hmm. It was original in terms of the narration. It kind of set up that genre of storytelling. Um, it's just a brilliant film. Bob Clark was a genius. And right. um, and how do you top that? And so you right. can't replicate it. You can't go out and say, we're going to make a movie just as good as Bob Clark would make and Gene Shepard working together. It's like, it's impossible. But I think we, you know, I think when I pitched it, I said, we can make a movie that honors the original, but it stands on its own. Right. But also reflects it, all the things that we love about it mm -hmm. and just try to hold on to that and, and make our own movie. The Old Man. The loss of the old man was in the original that you had read. Mm -hmm. Happened four years ago. Right. So Ralph goes home and it's like, you catch up through VO. The old man had passed four years ago. Right. Well, that doesn't, you don't feel anything. Yeah. It's like you're not experiencing, it's sort of, it's the stuff I call rear, rear view mirror storytelling. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm supposed to feel bad because you're telling me that he died four years ago. Right. But I'm not watching the character experience it. Right. And we had had that idea. We talked about it and it's, and then we pitched it to Warners. And I think we had soft pitched it, but once you were there, it was like, okay, we can really pull this off. And it's like, all right, the old man's going to die. 
page 12 and we're going to feel it and Ralph's going to feel it. Right, and right. It's, you're going to really empathize with this guy. <clears throat> Mr. Ralph Parker speaking. Hi, Mom. Oh, okay, Ma. What's wrong? What? What? Okay. Uh-huh. Where are you now? Nothing can prepare us for one of life's most painful and inescapable events. The passing of a parent. Okay, and they were like, oh, well, you can't survive that. <laughs> but then we're like, oh, you mean like every Disney movie, every kids movie yeah. in history, Bambi, right? Oh, that's a crazy You movie. have someone yeah. close to them die. Yeah. And as a result, as an audience member, you feel very connected to them. We yes. all know what that feels like. And you kind of root for them. Yeah. You know, Luke loses his family. Moving our inciting incident into our movie. Right, versus right. Like, exactly. Having it in the rear yeah. mirror. And there were, and you know, just issues with, about you know, it. like, it's been four years and Ralphie hasn't dealt with it. Like, What's the issue there? And there, it raised more questions than You're exactly right. uh, we wanted. You know, it just kind of made you question, like, does Ralphie, did, did he have a falling out? Like, what's the deal? Right, right. But we didn't want any of that. You're, you're, you're almost asking too much of the audience. It's in the ether. Yeah. You figure it out. It's like, no, put it on the film and you yeah, figure it yeah. out. Let it me just watch so it. It's logical. Yeah. But then it was nervous because, well, it's a family movie. It's comedic. It's like, can we survive that? And we did. And I remember some of the great writing that you did was we just looked at... Um, really the start of conflict of this movie when he sees his mom out front of the house and she mm -hmm. says, you have to put on a great Christmas yeah. no matter what yeah. and put on a happy face. Mm -hmm. And you had adjusted a lot of that. That was a scene I was, it was like, okay, we can do the death, but how do we left turn back into, all right, let's have some fun, yeah. you know, and right, quickly right. not spend 15 minutes in the movie wearing black and veils sure. and then moving on. And, um, you know, I think that that scene is just a really good example of watching it happen on screen. Mm -hmm. And if the mom's okay with it, then the audience yeah, is going right, to be okay right. with it. You feel bad for the mom. And it's great, too, just for Ralphie's character where it's like his journey. He doesn't know what his journey is until it shows up, which is this request. It's not just dealing with his father's death and, you know, bringing his family together. It's actually making a great Christmas, which he did not expect. So I mm -hmm. think that just is this complication that is really the, the core of, like, you know, what we put on the poster and the trailer. That's what people know <laughs> the movie's about. Right. But, um... I, I, for the character not expecting that, I think that's what makes it interesting. Versus starting your movie off with, like, we've got to have a great Christmas. It's just right, right. not the same thing. Right. You know, it's, it's this call to action for the character that his, you know, hero's journey begins here. We're not in Cleveland anymore. Now, I went to Kent State University in Ohio, 45 minutes away from Cleveland. Ah. And one of the first things you do, it's kind of a rite of passage. It's like, you got to go <laughs> see the Christmas story house. It's like, oh, it's here? It's, it's kind of cool. So... It is the bread and butter of Cleveland, Ohio. It's like there's LeBron, there's the Christmas Story house. Um, yes. And you guys actually did not go to Cleveland. Um, you turned Bulgaria into <laughs> Homan. How did this all develop and how did you end up out there? It's, it's kind of wild. Huh. Um, well, I, I've never been to Cleveland. Right. So I've never seen the original house, which is kind of weird, right? Um, but, but you erected it. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. apparently it doesn't look anything like the house from 1983, which was when the first movie was filmed, right? There's right. a parking lot next door because the house burned down and there's a gate around the museum and there's a <laughs> gift shop across the street. And so I think logistically filming there, it was sort of impossible. Right. Um, and then fundamentally money-wise, it was impossible. But apparently if you go to Bulgaria, they can build you an entire neighborhood <laughs> for the cost of shooting in Cleveland. How many houses? 11 houses. 11 houses. That is unbelievable. That are built. And those are built and that's not visual effects. And we ran before you came on scenarios. So like you'll budget, you'll kind of have the basic script, but you know, and they'll run what's called a scenario. So they'll budget it at different places around the world. Sure. Based on the labor rates, the rebate. So you run Atlanta, we ran Montreal. And then they said Bulgaria, and they're like, if you want to build all these houses, if you want to build a neighborhood, right, and you want to have days of shooting, <laughs> right, like to make your movie, right, yeah. you're going there. Yeah. Because it's the only place the numbers work. If you build it in Montreal, you'd get 35 days instead of 46 days of shooting, right? Sure. It's just you got to take it from somewhere. And because of the labor rates and the, and the skilled carpentry, they're very good craftsmen there and historically... And we had never done a movie there. Legendary had done a couple. Mm -hmm. We're like, Bulgaria, really? 
Right. You know, but it, sometimes you're asked, in this case, we were told, you yeah, go yeah. to Bulgaria. Yeah, and it's, okay. it's interesting to be in that position because I've never, you know, I've shot in Toronto on my last movie. Right. Um, but it's, it's kind of the choice of like, well, do you want to make the movie or do you not want to make the movie? And that's right. kind of where it is with the budget and all that stuff. And so it's like, yeah, Bulgaria sounds amazing. Let it snow. You guys are in uh, Bulgaria, the promise of snow, et cetera, but you, you, you don't have any snow. In fact, things got so bad, you needed to go to extreme lengths to get snow. There was just no snow that winter in Bulgaria. The day prepping before, I have a picture. A guy is getting prepping the set. There's no snow, and he doesn't even have a shirt on. It's so hot. <laughs> yeah, he's it's like 70 degrees. I'm like, what happened yeah, to the right. snow? So the same thing out front, all the houses. So we had to bring in snow there and create snow and it was made of diapers right ground up yeah diapers. there's all sorts of uh mechanisms they do to make fake snow so one they had these apparently very expensive bags of shredded white paper okay it's like copy paper that's been pulverized right and they can blow that through a thing and it looks like it's kind of showering down and they would spray trees and houses and things like that and it would just kind of stick on there after a while and then uh snowballs that anyone threw were Diaper filling. <laughs> so if you tear if you tear a diaper apart, not, not used for yeah, not used. Yeah, 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 you tear used. open a diaper. The chemicals in there they're very absorbent. Mm -hmm. So you soak those in water, and they they become these perfect little things that you can make snowballs. So we would make you know we had a wheelbarrow full of snowballs ready ready to be thrown at any point in a scene that we needed. So when it. you visit right. grandparents at the home this winter. There you go. Tear open some Snowball diapers. Fight. Yeah, there you go. Make movie <laughs> snowballs. They'll never melt. <laughs> and then, but and then, sorry, and then had to import snow. Yeah, from the local ski resorts. If, if you ever gone sledding, sure, you need snow. Pretty imperative. Fake snow. Fake does not work like real snow. You right. need that whatever that physics is. Sure. And so, like, they, they brought in a couple trucks one day to test it and kind of they filled this, what, like a half football field yeah. worth of space on mm -hmm. this hill. Right. And then, you know, by the end of the day, it was melting, and the next morning it was mud. And, you know, I, was, I remember saying to Myron, I want a truck, you know, round the clock, yeah, trucks of snow, trucks of snow. And, it, trucks and they weren't in. coming, you know. Right. And so we, we did manage to build, like, designated paths. Okay, they're going to go here, so we would put the snow there. Oh, wow. And so basically, anytime you see snow in this movie, it's not snow. It's right. fake. And it's either CG or it's powder or it's paper or it's blankets. By the way, a similar problem on the original Christmas story. Yeah, right. In Cleveland in January, it did not snow to the level. It did in Canada, like you see in the school scene where right. there's a blizzard when mm -hmm. he sticks his tongue on the pole. But the stuff around the house in Cleveland, it wasn't. And back then, it was more like foam. Like, I remember fire trucks coming and spraying mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this crazy combination and deep background spraying on the trees. So a similar thing. I'm sure they felt safe in Cleveland. Like, well, it's going to snow, obviously. Because mm -hmm. it's such a part of the fabric of the story and Gene's yeah. writing, battling the cold. Right. But we just didn't get lucky in Bulgaria, and we didn't get lucky in Cleveland either. No. In fact, when it was not snowing in Bulgaria, I was like, oh, you know what? The first one survived it. We can survive this, too. Like, right. it, was, it felt kind like, of tradition. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> All right, I guess these Christmas story movies just don't get real snow. If you're running a small business, especially around the holidays, you know things can get very stressful. New customers and new heights means new problems every single day. And as your business grows and your company expands, the simple tasks you used to do in a day are now taking weeks to complete. Well, if this is you. You should know these three numbers. 36,000, 25, 1. 36,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place with NetSuite. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com slash Christmas. That's netsuite.com slash Christmas to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Christmas. Run it back. You have your lead actor set, and now it's not just Pete 
that is coming in. Uh, you also have some original cast members coming in. I don't know their body work, but it, it's almost like, were you trepidatious as well with Flick and Schwartz and, and some of the other folks that, that are in here that hadn't acted in a while? Yeah, and they, you know, they had acted over the years, but like I had never seen any of it. You know, right. I knew the, you know, I knew Scott Schwartz as Flick. Yes. And that was kind of the last time I saw him in anything. Yeah. And we're all kind of the same age. So it's like, I grew up, you know, right, right. watching these kids. He was like in what, uh, Kids Incorporated or something like Kid that. Kid Co. He was Co. In, in the toy in the with toy, you know, Richard Pryor so and Jackie like Gleason. And yeah. I grew up watching Peter too on, you know, real people, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, so like, you're going like, way like deep I was the watching a kid on screen who was like my age. And I, right. you know, I thought these were like super genius, you know, super sure. talented kids that were like doing what I could never do. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, flash forward all these years. And so we have, you know, Scott Schwartz. It's odd because Scott Schwartz plays Flick and R.D. Schwartz plays. R.D. Rob, Rob plays, plays Schwartz. Schwartz right. <laughs> it's a little confusing. Even you can see me now. Well, I remember there was even some conversation earlier on behalf of the studio of maybe should we, you know, have some stars in this thing. And, you know, that played itself out. Mm -hmm. I think they were nervous. And our thing was, well, the IP's the star. You know, yeah. you right, want right. like... Yeah. Uh, a Christmas story as the IP is the star, mm -hmm. you know, and we plugging in as the originals is going to be the best for the film. They yeah. said, okay, but they said they had wanted RD and Scott to screen test or to audition. And I remember Scott calls me <laughs> and he goes, audition <laughs> me i go i know i'm sorry right it's not my call but just do it do a great job of it and he did and boy did they ever he, oh it was great, great i mean for me too like again like i haven't seen this guy on camera sure for 30 years mm -hmm. and uh and he does this audition and it's it's he's flick you know yes. his his mannerisms, his little faces he does. <laughs> is, I mean, that's the guy. You yeah. know, and that you can't take that away, and you can't add that from another person. Right. And so, as soon as I saw that, and I saw RD's audition, I was like, it has to be these guys. And yeah, and that's where you know, as a, a filmmaker, it comes from. Like, what do I want to see in this movie? If I right. was a person in the public and I want to go see this, would this make me happier? Right. And absolutely. Right. They all did great, but you're also you guys are landlocked in Europe, so you can't just call a casting director. And so you you ran into some some issues with casting. Is that correct as yeah, well? Like yeah. what, when you're kind well, of out when the you need people to speak English without a Bulgarian <laughs> accent, it's a yeah. little difficult in Bulgaria. And there yeah. are it's funny. There's a few. There's a handful of actors that whenever I see a movie or a trailer, I'm like, oh, they shot in that Bulgaria because there's you know. Uh, oh <laughs> my that god! Guy. Are you You'll serious? See the guys. Yeah, it's such a sure. limited pool oh, yeah, that yeah, you can yeah, yeah. three or four expats. If you're an actor and you want to work, move to Bulgaria. Well, you'll def you'll get every you'll you'll oh. get like at least an under five part in every single movie there. That There's a crazy. few expats that are there, yeah. and they're in everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then we had a lot more, and so we kind of looked to some <laughs> crew members. That's right. To That's do right. that, but we didn't necessarily tell them because if you tell a crew member like, "Hey, we want to use," like, "No, no, 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 I'm uh, I don't do that. I'm the crew member. You right, know, right, I'm not yeah. doing that." But we kept them yeah. in our pocket, and we sprung it on them the morning of. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, you wait until they today. can't say no. So we have to do this. We right. don't have anyone else. We literally don't have anybody. Yeah. So it was Matt Clark, mm -hmm. our DP, uh, our DP, Shay, our costume designer. Shay and Matt are both out front, um, waving at With Ralphie the and then walking right. by when he's holding the newspaper. Rusty's at the table, our production designer. And then Jay, Jay is great, yeah. who's one of our producers, mm -hmm. was in Higby's, and we really needed a guy when I raced the guy. To right. the register. Right. Yeah. I, w I would say definitely more use of crew members on this movie than in any movie in my career, for sure. <laughs> Every now yeah. and then, yeah. you know, you do one, but it was like, yeah, we're going to have to. Higby's East. As iconic as the houses in the original, and obviously your film, Higby's is as well. It's such a central, it, obviously, it's in the opening of the uh, of the original. You don't have a Higby's in Bulgaria. <laughs> Definitely not. So how no. do you, how do you, uh, how did you guys go about culminating yeah. and resurrecting it Higby's? Was, it was really important to me to um, have the audience go into this movie and have no idea it wasn't the same place. Right. If Higby's looked different, if anything didn't feel like it had that verisimilitude of the original, right. I think the spell would have been broken. At least for me, I was very adamant that like this has to feel exactly like the first movie. And so actually going to Bulgaria and building it exactly like the first movie gave right. us that possibility. 
And it wasn't a small thing. I mean, you, you see the movie, it's full sure, of people and, yeah. and kiosks and gifts and it's, it's an entire thing. And so um, I, I found I had to do this a lot, which was great. It's, it's the fun and the magic of making movies mm -hmm. is like, I can do this with this much little thing. Right. You know? So I said, if you build me a fourth of Higby's, I right. can shoot the whole thing. And that, that's where, like on the weekends, I would sit on my laptop, I would pull up Blender, which is this free 3D animation software, and I would, you know, pull <laughs> in, alert. Yeah, pull, pull in the, the model from art department right. and kind of like, you know, scope out cameras and scout it and wow. be like, oh, if I just only point this way and this right. way and stop here, we'll have two or three shots that are like CG backgrounds, extensions, set extensions, right. that really sell the scope of this place. And then mm -hmm. once we establish that, then we can play inside our set and we can get it done. Mm -hmm. And we built it to the specs of the original. You know, the pillars wow. are in the right spot. Um, the the slide is there. And it was yeah. always this question of like, do we need the slide? I was like, yes. You know, <laughs> I, I, again, going yeah. back to like callbacks and like what not to like, you know, throw in the audience's face. Like if we don't have the slide, it's not Higby's. Right, you know, right. We just said that the justification was that's the Higby's tradition. There's always mm -hmm. a slide. Kids right. go see Santa, they go down the slide. It might be a different slide every year, but there's always a slide. So they build some version of it. Yeah. And the and the thematic driver in that was like in the original, it's it's really from the kids' point of view, like mm -hmm. the terror of seeing Santa and what Higby's is like. Mm -hmm. This was much more from the adult point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the kids want to go tell Santa what they want for Christmas. And then in this, we also built in that bar that the parents sometimes go Higby's and lounge. Have some <laughs> have some martinis in the mm -hmm. lounge next door. So right. it's all a little more from the parents' perspective, yeah. Yeah. which is kind of fun. So right. it, it it's again that that sort of idea that we had of don't redo things in the original be evocative of them, but do something new. Surviving Scott Farkas. I thought one of the most significant and poignant um, parts of the film was Scott Farkas coming back into play. Zach Ward, who played Scott Farkas in the original, was great. It was, I think, an opportunity. you got to have me. such an iconic character. Mm -hmm. Maybe the low-hanging fruit would be, all right, they're going to fight again. Yeah. Ralph right, and right. Scott. Yeah. Or Scott's a criminal, you know, his life went horrible. But the turn to make him to say, hey, he actually kind of straightened out his life. Mm -hmm. And now he's a police officer in town. Felt like a really good starting point. Put your hands up. I said point him up. It's okay. I know the owner, Flick. I just had to borrow a Christmas star. I, I left a note. <laughs> you left a note. Well, that's a new one. Wait. Don't I know you? Scott Farkas. There he was with those same <laughs> yellow eyes. Dear God, he still had yellow eyes. We had the framework of something, but Zach really brought a lot to yeah, that. Yeah, he really did. He really just brought a lot of thought to it because he's mm -hmm. been living with this character his whole life. Sure, yeah. I think he'll say the same thing where it's like it's hard to play, to be known as this bad guy. And right. he talks about how he would go to a parade and he'd be waving at people and they'd be kind of waving him. And then he would, you know, pump his fist at people and they'd start to cheer. And he realized, like, I'm the bad guy. And always having to kind of feel like he had to, in some ways, be that guy. Yeah. Right, right. for yeah. the fans. They, they Yes, they're excited to meet him. But they're really excited when he's showing the teeth yeah, or, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. or doing that because that's how they see him. And people I don't like liked him for that, and other bad guys liked him as yeah, a bad yeah. guy. And, right. and but you know, it's like there, there, there's a weight to that, carrying that through your whole life of like, right. yeah, I'm the bad guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think he came to this with a lot of thought about like, you know, obviously that was written as he's a police officer now, and he could have just been a, a bad cop. But he's like, well, no, I think he's. Uh, turn things around and we you know, constructed this thing where it's because of this moment that we saw in the first movie where he did get his ass handed to him. Right. And it really kind of set him on the right course. Breaking into Flick's dump, huh? You must really need that star. Yeah, I did. Look, I appreciate you blowing smoke up my dress like you did, but we both know when we were kids. That was kind of a nightmare. Kinda. I was just trying to be a tough guy, you know, like my old man. But that day you handed my ass to me, I mean, that got me thinking. I'm not sure where this is going. You know, and I, uh, I put all that garbage behind me. And look at me now. I'm one of the good guys. So I guess what I'm saying is, I owe you, Parker. 
hey. Merry Christmas, Ralph. Merry Christmas, Scott. In two scenes, basically, we see where he has right. lived his life and gone and um, who he's become. And the audience is, like, really surprised and satisfied by that. Like, no one's ever said, oh, it's too late in the movie or it's not enough. Or, like, right. they just, they love it. A movie that's iconic is going to have an effect on everyone's life. And mm -hmm. it's had its own effect on me. Mm -hmm. And it had a specific effect on him with that. So to yeah. be able to you know, change that character in a way on screen and transform yeah. him, I think was not only satisfying to the movie, but satisfying to him as a person as yeah. well. Yeah. And felt like maybe in some ways it slayed a dragon of the past for that too. And yeah, so it's... The character had redemption. And I think, you know, Zach had, a, you know, he doesn't need redemption. He's a great guy. He's right, doing great. Right. But it, it did, I think, serve him personally too, in, in a great way. A bunny, a lamp, and a gun. As you might expect, uh, when you make a movie like this, the studio is like, you're going to have, you know, the leg lamp, right? And we're like, well, right. Dad buried it in the backyard and there was taps playing. So I think it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's gone. gone. It's destroyed. Yeah. It. You know, right. um, well, you're going to have the bunny suit. It's like, well, we'll, we'll see. And you're going to stick someone's tongue to a flagpole. It's like, no. <laughs> right. So it's, it's kind of painful to kind of go through those requests of like, you're going to make the audience happy. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't love fan service. Right. It makes the audience feel sort of smart sometimes, but it's not necessarily smart storytelling. Yeah, and there were certain ones that we decided on. The ones I love are the super deep Easter eggs. Like when you mm -hmm. open the refrigerator mm -hmm. and you see all the casseroles, mm -hmm. look at the names. There's one from Miss Shields. Miss Shields was Ralphie's grade school teacher <laughs> in the original movies. Yeah. Yeah. So those were the fun ones to do. And there's a lot of them. I would say the two that were most heavily debated were the bunny suit. Mm -hmm. I remember someone saying, you're going to put it on? I'm like, what? Dude, I was <laughs> 10. If that thing still fits, we got major problems, okay? No, yeah. I'm not putting it on. <laughs> yes, we'll have it in the movie, but good Lord. Well, be careful. There's spiders and tickets up there. Attics are museums of indifference, littered with junk you don't want to look at, but don't have the courage to throw away. This place is a mess. How am I supposed to find the Christmas stuff up here? It's the cardboard boxes. Which one? There's hundreds of them. He looks like a deranged Easter bunny. And still traumatizing. The other one was the BB gun. Yeah. And just like, how much of a storyline sure. should that be? There were pitches of, at some point, well, okay, let's have a sea story of uh, Ralph's son, Mark, wants a BB gun, and mm -hmm. he's going from house to house because the mom had sold it in a garage sale. He's trying mm -hmm. to track it down. I was like, all right, but is that on our mythic journey? Right, right. It's not. So, right, those were easy to eliminate. The gun, I think, was a debate down at the very end, and you just barely see it sticking out of a box right, in the attic in when shot. he writes, and yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to watch, you know, because there were maybe eight shots that I lifted straight from the first movie, you know, mm -hmm. like, like sitting in front of the Christmas tree at night. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, doing those in a way where you're doing an homage and telling story, um, not just ripping off scenes. Right. But just to see those scenes and, and really when you have to break those down and analyze them and understand, like, what's making the shot work, they did some really amazing things in that movie. Yeah. He was a great filmmaker. He really was. I mean, I, I, I think probably first saw Porky's before I saw Christmas Story. <laughs> so I, I love two Bob Clark movies. Right. But um, yeah, just just seeing the filmmaking behind it is that you realize like what he created was really magic. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on you to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also this this great challenge to to honor that and also make your own movie. Right. Um, and. Like, you can never try to replicate it or replace it if that's not, you know, what we're doing. We're just trying to uh, do our best. To, and I always talk about, it like, it's like a, a shelf, and the, the first one's here, and the second one hopefully sits right next to it, and they feel right, right. together. But they're never going to be the same. I know I look forward to watching it again this holiday season with my with my family. Yeah, thanks again for doing this. It was nice to be able to sit down and really get into the weeds with you on this one. Yeah, yeah it's it was been fun. a while. I appreciate all the insight and thought. Thank you. Pete, it's the holidays. Yes. What do you think about? You think about food. You and I, we're, we're, we're dudes. We love food. Oh, yes. We love <laughs> cooking. We love cooking for and with our families. Yes. And we're going to be doing a lot of cooking on our Traeger this holiday season. Yes. In fact, we're going to fire it up and we're going to do a turkey on the Traeger and we're going to smoke a pie for dessert. 
Done. So many great products. They have rubs. They have sauces. At Traeger.com, you can get all of your cooking needs right. right there in one stop. And I've been using the Wi-Fi connectivity, which means that I can monitor the temperature, the duration of the cook right on the Traeger app on my phone. Right. I don't even have to be at home. So for something like the size of a turkey, I get it on, I get the probes in it, and I just start to watch this thing as it cooks. I don't have to keep opening the lid, right, doing the right. push test, second-guessing, hoping mm -hmm. that it's done. I know exactly to the number what the internal temperature is, and I basically just wait until it's done. They have the pellets. They have different flavored pellets. That's they have right. different sauces and rubs and everything. It, it, it's all-encompassing. So whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned veteran, Traeger has the right grill for you. These grills are available in all different types at Traeger.com. Mm -hmm. And they have a sale going on right now. They don't do a lot of sales. It's $300 off select grills. Go to Traeger.com. Check it out. Front page news. So the last publisher has passed on Ralph's massive sci-fi novel. And his mother had asked him to write an obituary for the old man, right. which he did. And that was a bit of an emotional journey for Ralph. He shed some tears. But really this great dream of his to become a writer is pretty much gone. And he had just said earlier to his wife, hey, a deal's a deal. I appreciate the support. I'll go back to work. It is now Christmas morning, and something unexpected happened. So let's take a look at the scene. It wasn't the lack of success that bothered me. It was the sting that laid in the belief that I still had something meaningful to say. Ralphie! Great job! Okay. Hey, Ralphie. Wife and I loved your story. The newspaper. It's great. It's my story. How, how did they get my story? Don't look at me. I gave it to him. What are you talking about? Well, last night after you stormed out, the newspaper called. They wanted the obituary for the Sunday paper, so I borrowed your mom's car and I dropped it off. It, it's not an obituary. No, I know. The editor said the same thing. Ralph, I read it. It's the best thing you've ever written. <laughs> Besides, I wasn't about to give them the lousy three sentences you scribbled on that notepad. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Yes? Yes, he's here. It's for you. Who is it? It's the editor from the paper. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, what did he say? He wants to know if I have more stories. You did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> there you have it. Ralph got published. Yes. In a way that he did not expect in writing what was supposed to be a bite-sized obituary. Once he dug in, like a lot of writers, and I guess like Ralph, who writes a little long in the tooth, <laughs> he wrote a story about his old man, right. and that made its way to the front page of the local newspaper. And mm -hmm. they want more, which starts this implication that Ralph can probably not have to go back to work in his day job and right. can continue as a writer. Losses become wins. It is Christmas. The old man is not there. Right. And they had to finish all these casseroles that were dropped off at their house <laughs> by the neighbors out of respect before they could even have turkey. They don't know if they're going to do that. This Christmas still hangs in the balance. Right. So let's see how the conflict of this movie ends. Everyone gathered round, rolled up their sleeves, and loosened their belts a notch. Those casseroles didn't stand a chance, not with the bottomless pit known as... Good old Larry Novak. Oh. 
I tallied up the final scorecard, it was hardly the perfect holiday I'd imagined. My wife on crutches, broken arm from my son, my daughter nearly blinded, stolen gifts, and my book flopped. But somehow, beyond the scope of probability, through all the headaches and heartaches, the house was filled with life, laughter, and love once again. The old man would be proud. There you go. So they pulled off a very memorable Christmas. <laughs> Ralph pulled yes. it off. Yes, he did. It was uh, it was not <laughs> what you would want on paper. <laughs> I mean, your gifts are getting stolen. You're possibly going to jail. <laughs> it all goes haywire, but somehow it all still coalesces into a very memorable, wonderful Christmas, one they won't forget. And the presence of the Father is really what brought everybody together at the table. And I think it's really in the essence of that voiceover, like this idea of what makes a great Christmas, right? right? It's it's a hard question to answer. And what might be great for you is maybe slightly different for me. What elements do you want in the house? But mm-hmm. the idea that it's life, laughter, and love, mm-hmm. those would be ingredients you would want in any home in Christmas. Yes. The idea that those were now in the house, again, a house that had been a bit sad and lonely with the passing of the old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is now restored. And so for them, um, it really turns out to be a great Christmas. Origin story. So with him having pulled off this memorable, wonderful Christmas, let's see how this movie resolves itself. Ah, <laughs> oh, hot damn, Ralph. You did it. <laughs> Mom, what'd you think? Oh, I haven't read it yet. What? What? No. I wanted to hear it from my son, the writer. Yeah, Dad, read it. Yeah. <laughs> Come here. My old man. My old man didn't just celebrate Christmas. He indulged in it, brought it to life for his family. One Christmas in particular stood out as the gold standard, and it all started back in the good old house on Cleveland Street. Christmas was on its way. Lovely, glorious, beautiful Christmas around which the entire kid year revolved. Downtown Holman was prepared for its annual bacchanalia of peace on earth and goodwill to men. But more importantly to one boy, his quest to acquire the most coveted gift a nine-year-old could hope for. The Holy Grail of Christmas gifts. The Red Rider 200-shot range model air rifle. Wow, that's great. So there you have it, Ralph Stan's in front of his dad's chair, that mm-hmm. was the chair that the old man sat in the original movie and is in his home for him. When he first walked into the house earlier in the movie, he looks at that chair with reverence mm-hmm. and doesn't get anywhere near it. And it's sort of this kind of looming reminder of the old man. So to more comfortably take that seat is also really Ralph's now acceptance as the patriarch of the family, mm-hmm. accepting that role and sitting in it he'll be able to put on great Christmases and other events and be able to provide a lot of what the old man provided for him to his own family and to his mom and brother. Right. And then just the nice little bookend of this movie is how that voiceover transitions and you really begin to hear that those sounds of the opening of the original Christmas story, Right. that's the obituary that Ralph wrote was those words. Mm -hmm. And that's what really defines this as the origin story of a Christmas story because in that attic is where he wrote the obituary for his dad and that really became the bones of the first movie and that, you know, for us was sort of the completion, it's sort of the resolution of the filmmakers, if you will, Mm -hmm. that being able to do that and create this origin story was sort of the icing on the cake for the reasons to do this film. You know, I would say most of us have healthy dynamics with our parents, with our, you know, we're we both look up to our fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly look up to my father as a hero, and you would think, boy, I could never fill his shoes. Well, the point is that 
you're not going to, you know, not for your kids. Your kids lo- are looking up to you. That's right. As their father. And that's what he comes to do at the very end of this film. So where this movie stacks up, it came out in uh, 2022. And when it premiered in November on HBO Max, we'd gotten some information around the first week of December that said it had been the number one movie on the platform for, I think, those two and a half to three weeks. And then on Christmas, it exceeded the premiere numbers as well. Wow. So it was finding an audience on mm-hmm. that. And there's plans to air it across additional platforms very much like the first film. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it was... Uh... Certified fresh. fresh. Yeah. So the critics liked it. The fans liked it. So it, it it sort of got both camps, which these films don't always get. You know, if you were like me, I watched it the first time. And when we did the transition into you guys run across the street, I turned it off like an right. idiot. And in preparing for this, um, I watched the end credits and was incredibly surprised that what you guys did was you rolled out these end credits and it was kind of an homage piece, but also an attention to detail and just, I don't know, like very nostalgic. Yeah, there's some nuggets in the end credits of photos from the original and then mm-hmm. similar framing from this one. Yeah. And that was an idea of our editor, David, who just really strongly pitched that and mm-hmm. was finding these similarities as he was editing the movie. I think he was discovering right. some of these things that we intentionally did, mm-hmm. and he thought it would be nice to show them to an audience. I wasn't sure about that at first, but David really stayed on it, which was cool. And he I'm said, glad you guys... We really have to do this, yeah, and he was in. totally right. It was great. Yeah. Well, appreciate you breaking down this one with me. Uh, I consider this, honestly, a, a privilege and an honor to be here with you and Clay today. Um, and congratulations. I know Ralphie Parker wanted to pull off a great Christmas, but you as well pulled off an incredible movie. So uh, a testament to you. Thank you very much. So... Merry Christmas to you. Yes. And to all a good night. (laughs) 